This is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Look who it is. G. Scott's in the building for a couple hours. What's going on, man? How are you? It's good to have you in studio. Man, I'm glad to be back. But you know what? What? This show ain't the same without you, Mara. Oh. You see how she played my jingle? That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Mara, it's not the same without you. It was just... I mean, Justin is cool. Mike Salk is cool. But when you're not here, Mars, just things just ain't right. Oh, she was in Iowa. Everything was right with the world. What yeah. What, so what, what beach did you go to in Iowa? <laughs> uh we did walk through like a national forest near her house, and there was a sign that said no swimming. And then when we got to the water, I was like, why would anyone want to swim in this? <laughs> it's pretty to look at, but that was some murky water. I, I imagine the water there looks like if you ever boil corn, like what the what the water looks like after you take the corn out, and it's sort of got like a greenish hue mm. from the stalks of the corn or whatever. I don't know. That's just sort of my <laughs> assumption of everything in Iowa, sort of boiled, ex-boiled corn. Bro, last night I was thinking, I was like, man. Come on, Mariners. Oh. Come on, Mariners. Oh. You, you do know oh. I have to go and work with Mike Salk tomorrow. And then the way they started it off, I'm like, bro, what's going on? And so, first of all, let me ask, are you okay? Am I okay? Yeah, but they were bad last night. And then the words you used this morning, you were using PU and you were using McNuggets. What, what were the words you were using to McNuggets. describe? What, what, what was McNoogie or something? Some, oh, tough noogies? Yeah, yeah, tough noogies. <laughs> Hold on, you don't know what a noogie is? Like when you noogie yeah, in the head? Yeah, when you noogie in the head. Yeah, but, but, but when, you, when, they, when the M's don't do well, you become not yourself. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's entirely true, but I would say that last night or yesterday afternoon. What's up? It was it's just a terrible game. I mean, like, you got to say what it was. That was an awful, awful, awful effort that they put out there last night. Mm-hmm. It was boring. I think that's the thing that jumped out to me. Mariners have not played great baseball this year, but, you know, they're hovering around 500. They've been better than some people have said, but obviously not as good as they were supposed to be. Certainly not as good as I thought they would be. But last night took to kind of a different level of just sort of apathy watching them. Like, man, what what is going on out there? But are you shocked at Gary Cole? No, Garrett Cole's really good. I mean, come on. But when you go up against a pitcher like Garrett Cole, there's a recipe, right? You certainly don't swing at five pitches in the first inning. Julio saw five pitches and four at-bats. I mean, like, especially for a team that has had this problem all year, and they're trying to pull everything, and they're rolling over ground balls, it just looked like a lot of the same old stuff we've seen over the course of the year mm-hmm. after it, it had felt like maybe they were starting to turn a corner. So maybe that's a one night only. Maybe it was just Garrett Cole. And, you know, I don't even know whether the Yankees have announced who they're starting tonight. So maybe Luis Castillo goes out, shoves tonight in Yankee Stadium. And, you know, you go to work on their lousy fill in starter or whatever the heck ends up happening. So that's why it's a slice in time. It's not a statement on who they are. Right. But last night, horrible. Uh, Gutless, 
boring effort from the Mariners. Well, I hope people listen and understand that when I come on, this is my opportunity to ask you about Mariner baseball because this is something, I mean, this is really your life. You live for Mariner baseball. <laughs> I do live for baseball. So, so, let, so let me ask you this. I know the All-Star break is coming up and then the trade deadline is going to come up. And I know here pretty soon you guys are going to be talking questions like, what yeah. do you do and the whole, what do they say, the buy or sell? What, what should they do, Mike? Right now? Yeah. Here's the good news. Okay. Don't have to answer. <laughs> like, I, I appreciate the question, but it legitimately isn't time to answer it yet. They have, they when have is not, it time to answer? Mark? Well, you don't have until August 1st. I mean, you've got over oh. a month before you've got to Things answer that change. question. Yeah, so true. if you want to buy here, – here's the problem. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who answered the question. I don't mean Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander in the office. Yeah. It's the players on the field. They get to answer this question. Mm-hmm. Are you going to play well enough – to convince the management to go add a piece to help you? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to continue to play below your your expected and, quite frankly, you know, assumed level? If you're going to play the way you did last night, management should absolutely not add anything. Okay. They should, they should not add to a team that is going to take at bats in an approach like they did last night. Mm-hmm. You should let them twist. Sorry, we should sell. At that point, right? Like at that point, you say, no, we're going to sell. We're going to, you know, see if we can build for next year. Or maybe you do one of these sort of buy sell combos, which we've seen in the past. But if they're not going to show you that they are truly worth investing in, then you don't invest in them. Was this, but, but Mike, if they do, okay, right? You got a month to make up your mind. And so if you over the course of the next month go 18 and seven, mm-hmm. well, that's a very different story. Now you're absolute buyers, and you go out there and you say, okay, where, where are the holes? Who can we add? Who's available? What's worth giving up? But the team gets to – they still have enough time to dictate that. Well, I'm me, not saying it's early. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's just too early to make that decision. Okay, well, let me ask you this. The team that I saw play yesterday, Oof. and then hearing you respond today, right? In, in, in the past, when you and I have talked about this, you sometimes you tell me, gee, that was just one game. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I can feel your energy about this. And there was something about last night, starting this road trip, right, out mm-hmm. there in New York, right? Why – can you explain to me why well, you It was a continuation of some of what we had seen against Chicago, who was a lousy team over the last three games. They won two of those three, but I thought you they didn't, looked, you, don't, you don't like the way they won? No, I didn't. Well, I didn't like their approach as much in those games. And, and can you explain their approach to Yeah, me? so. Ooh, gee, that's, a, that's a funny that you say that because he was mad at fans earlier this season for not being happy with wins. I, 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 look, <laughs> I, I'm seriously, if you're listening, I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. They came home. They they off a they lost six of eight on the road. They came home. They won four of six. They won two of three against the Mariners. Maybe it was ugly. Matter of fact, I know what it's like to be ugly and yeah. have a good uh, a woman by your side. I do it all the time. But they won ugly. But they won. Yeah, I know. But but you're not uh, you're not happy with the approach. Can you explain? Well, I mean, we a couple of weeks ago they made some changes in their approach, and they started looking back up the middle, and they started seeing more pitches, and they started working counts, and you know, and I know they're going to strike out a lot. Like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And when you lose to the A's early or win beat the A's early in the season, I'm not going to freak out about that. It's a totally different situation. But you get to now mid-June, and you're still idling around 500, and you just seem to be unable to get yourself in gear. Yeah, I I think that that is actually different. And, and 
yeah, more. I don't know what to tell you on the on the change with the A's. Like one of those things was in what early May, and the other is in now almost late June. Like there's a difference. I'm not going to get mad at wins early in the season for a team that is talented enough to 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 really go places. But you feel like we are getting to that point now. Oh, I feel like we got to this point three weeks okay. ago. I mean, like I, I've been guys. It, it stopped being early. It's not like I've been sitting here saying it's early for the last three weeks. I haven't said that since June started. It's June 21st. I'm not telling you it's early. I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not saying anything like that. In April and May, it was too early. And congratulations, you ended up being right on the fact that they didn't look as good as as you wanted them to do. But, guys, you don't bury a team that is where the Mariners were in April and May. That's just foolish. Now, I'm not going to bury them now either. They're not done. Not even close. And we've talked about how the Mariners last year, the Phillies a couple last year, the Nationals a few years ago, the Braves three years ago, all of these teams were mediocre in June or heading into the All-Star break. It's perfectly possible to play mediocre baseball, to look lifeless, to look dead, to look pathetic, and then go on and do great things, especially if you have talent like the Mariners do. So there is a difference between calling out the, the the act and behavior that I saw last night and over the weekend and a belief that that's who this team is. I still don't believe that's who this team is. Mm-hmm. I still believe that there is something in this team that is significantly uh, talented and and has the, the ability. Because who, who's on it? They have ability. You like the guys that are on. I like the players they have on their team. You like them. Of course, you like the manager. I think they're good at their jobs. And right now, they're not doing well. And w- okay. Like, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, yeah. Good players good? that right now are playing bad. And then unfortunately, sometimes that happens in baseball. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they brought in some of the wrong guys. Like, they went out shopping in the offseason, and A.J. Pollock and Colton Wong have not worked. I'm not disagreeing with anybody who's, who's saying there, that. Is there anything that can happen on this road trip? They're going to finish out of with the course. Yankees and yes, then the Baltimore Orioles. They can kind of, I can come back Go next week. Go win four of the next five. Absolutely. Okay. Go win four out of six on this road trip. Yeah. That'd be great. But if you continue to play the way you played last night, you're going to go 0-6 because that was some real garbage. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, a lifeless, pathetic effort last night from the Mariners. Actually, I shouldn't question effort, but it was straight up boring. They generated no consistent threat. They just let Garrett Cole do whatever he wanted for, what, eight innings. Kirby made just two mistakes. One to a guy I've quite literally never heard of for a player who has been everywhere, and he hits a two-run shot. The other, well, was just straight up dropped. Now the stretch by Kirby delivers. Swing and a high fly ball into the gap in right center field. Going back to Oscar Hernandez. He's got some room. Leaps up and it's going to be off the top of the fence and a bounce away from Julio. No, it wasn't off the top of the fence, unfortunately. On further review, bounced straight off his glove after he jumped when he didn't need to. (sighs) That's just a straight up drop. They don't call it an error because, you know, the ball has to like be hit directly to your glove in order for anyone to call anything an error in Major League Baseball anymore. But that was ugly, man. I'm not, again, not going to question the effort, but the focus, the consistency, the urgency, all of those things, I think they've been an issue for the team thus far, and I think they all showed up again last night. Yes, he's a very good starter. Yes, Garrett Cole's an excellent pitcher, but so what? 
That's life, man. Find a way. Scratch, claw. Do what George Kirby did. Take a take a lesson from Kirby, who did not have his best stuff last night. Gave up the three runs early, settled down, gritted his way through it, and ended up getting through seven innings just through sheer force of will. Time for the other guys in the team to take a lesson from that and do the same thing. They're four games out in the wild card again. Lousy way to start this road trip, but you got five more. Luis Castillo will try to get it going tonight. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, just to make it a little bit worse, a little injury to insult, as it were, J.P. Crawford has been such a steady presence for them this year, was injured in the game, had to be removed. Yeah, J.P., um, you know, the stolen base, I think it was Bader when he got up to go to third, they collided at that point. Uh, J.P., you know, banged his right shoulder, um, sore, you know, this contusion. We'll see how it is tomorrow. Yeah, that uh, takes a lot to get J.P. Crawford to come out of a game. Pretty tough dude. So don't know how long he'll be out. It sounds like he's going to have an MRI today. We'll ask Ryan Divish about it coming up in 10 minutes. But likely means Dylan Moore will see some action. Moore, by the way, has a total of zero hits so far since coming back from the injured list. I know he didn't have a spring training and all of that. But, man, like zero hits? Get a hit. We'll see if this ends up uh, with some extra playing time for him. Here's the third thing you need to know. Seahawks announced nine training camp dates that are going to be open to the public. Camp goes July 26th through August 16th. You can register through the Seahawks website, of course, Seahawks.com. Mock game, Lumen Field on August 4th. And, uh, yeah, hey, tonight, Coachella Valley Thunderbirds, game seven for the Calder Cup finals against Hershey. So they won game one and two, lost the next three, and then won game six. So minor league affiliate of the Kraken trying to win the Calder Cup tonight. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. So here's the one thing I did like from last night, G. One thing I did like, and then we're going to talk to Ryan Davis, kind of curious to get his take on this. Is if you saw the little back and forth, so Jose Caballero, who's got a little a little uh, irritant in sure. him, he's uh, he's got some some spiciness. Okay, he does this thing which he's done a lot this year, where he sort of uses the pitch clock to his advantage to kind of mess up the timing of the other pitcher and get under their skin a little bit. He does it to Garrett Cole, and so he gets back in the box, and Cole clearly was not happy as he tends to not be, and so he throws a pitch. I would say what. 30 feet over Caballero. Like, I've never seen a pitch look quite like that in Major League Baseball. Obviously, it was done on purpose. That's just not a real thing that happens. And so they ask Garrett Cole. Then there's a little back and forth. He ends up striking out Caballero and then kind of does a little finger wag over what I thought was Caballero. Uh, Aaron Goldsmith kind of thought the same thing. Dave Sims thought it was, or maybe, but, but whatever. Turns out it wasn't at Caballero. It wasn't at the umpire. The finger wag was for somebody else. Take me through the back and forth there with Caballero. Yeah, I mean, sometimes a high fastball can be a really effective pitch. So, got to change eye levels. It's not every day we see you pointing at the other dugout and, and kind of shaking your finger there. Yeah, you know, their manager was uh, had some choice words for me coming off the field, and he was wagging his finger at me, so I wagged my finger at him. Mm. So it's a Scott. I like that. How long? How long do we have right here? We have like a minute. No. Why? Because I, I, I it, somehow maybe in an eight o'clock hour, I do want to have a deeper discussion about this because I feel that you and I can have this. And uh, look, I am privileged to, on a daily basis, talk to either current coaches, mm-hmm. former coaches, current players, former players, and I have used that ability to just. I I, I think that 
sports is the greatest thing in the world. And when it comes to the Mariners, you're talking about the type of team that they are. Let me tell you what I see from the Mariners. I think the Mariners are that team that when an assignment, if an assignment is due August 1st, some of us start that assignment now. (laughs) Hear me out for a second. Some of us start it now. And some of us started two days before. And when it comes to personalities, right, you talked about the personalities on this ball club, right? Maybe that's them. We saw it last year. They did it last year. And maybe that's about to happen again. Maybe. Sometimes an increase in sense of urgency is something. It is seriously a deep determination to win rather than lose. Like, you care more— about winning than you do losing. I know, I know me. I care more about winning than I do. I don't care if I lose. You can beat me today, tomorrow, the next day. I don't care. When I get that one win, oh my gosh. You'll talk about it forever. Forever. Yeah, we've seen that. Yes. That's it. You have a tendency to ignore all of the times you were wrong. But when you were right, you got receipts for it. You let everybody know about it. I'm just trying, I'm just trying I know to- how you're wired. I'm just trying to get it to this Mariners. The I think it's, of a, that. it's a fun conversation. We can come back to it. I think the thing with Scott here, though, is... Maybe this is a way to fire the team up. Maybe it's a way to kind of get them into that same mentality they were at after they fought with Anaheim last year. He's not going to overturn a Gatorade table. They don't do that in Major League Baseball in 2023. Sure. But if getting himself involved in the action a little bit and making things chippy is a way to send a message to a lifeless, dead, boring, sleepwalking team, I'm all for it. And if it works, fine. Anything you can do to wake this team up. We'll ask Divish about it. Coming up next on Brock and Salk. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, busy morning today. G will be back here in a few minutes. Uh, we're talking some baseball right now with our friend Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times. He joins us. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? Good, Mike. It's uh, it's easier to do this in New York than yes. it is in San Diego. Yeah, no, we try to mostly just call you when you're in New York, knowing that it'll be a little later in the morning. I'm still a little impressed you're awake. I don't know. New York, I've heard, is kind of a fun town. Yeah, but I uh, I messed up my travel the other day, so I ended up taking the red eye in on Monday night and then getting here yesterday morning about 9 and then trying to piece my day together with a nap. It wasn't good, so... Oh. I took it easy. Tonight will be a little different, you know, especially because it looks like it's going to rain all day tomorrow. You took your nap during the day yesterday. The Mariners waited until about 710 to take theirs. (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, not. I mean, I've seen that game before in my life. That's for certain. The the lack of offense, um, not many hard hit balls and and then another loss. So it was. Pretty standard fare for this season, that's for certain. It felt worse to me last night, and maybe that's my own blinders or whatever, but last night, for whatever reason, got to me in a way that, I don't know, maybe because it's getting later in the year, you're now June 21st, maybe it was your uh, article earlier this week, kind of piecing together just what a hole they've dug for themselves in terms of the rest of the league. I don't know, something about just the lifelessness and, and with which they play. And I know every team looks lifeless when they're not hitting, but you throw in the tail ball and just a few. It just, it just didn't look right last night. Yeah, I don't think, honestly, it, it, I mean, like, they didn't play terribly, but they didn't play good. I mean, like, you know, we've seen games. We've seen maybe three-game stretches, four-game stretches where they played high-quality baseball. 
But like last year, that team always kind of played pretty well. They didn't, they weren't sloppy. Mm-hmm. They make a lot of mistakes in the field. You know, they, they they certainly didn't strike out as much as this team does. Um, and that that's just it's like you know, I guess for a lot of people, you just you get tired of watching the same old thing every night. Like a bunch of bad at bats, a bunch of swings and misses. You know, less than stellar play in the field. And it seems like every mistake they do make in the field always leads to a run. You know, and and given the way that they're constructed, given the way they've been playing, they can't afford to to make mistakes. It's a it's a fine line to walk when you have to play on that high of a level every night just to have a chance to win, mm-hmm. not just a win, but to have a chance to win because they don't they don't score enough runs. I mean, they just don't. It's it's you know really it's putrid offense to watch a lot of times because there's they don't generate any excitement. You know, you thought this team would have some speed on the bases. Well, they don't get on base very much. You know, and they don't hit the ball enough when they do have runners on base. So it's just like for them to score anymore, like we were talking about last night, they needed a bloop single or an error by the Yankees lineup that I had about six guys that I've never heard of. And then, you know, somebody hits a fly ball to right field that carries over the wall and Garrett Cole gets all mad and whines and complains. Yeah, I mean, all of those things are true. And and so I guess I would ask you this, what would you do? If you were in Scott's shoes or if you were in, you know, Jerry and Justin's shoes, what would you do? Well, well, I mean, I don't want to get in trouble with PETA, so you can't really do the sacrificing of the live chicken in the dugout or in the clubhouse. But, I mean, like, they, I don't know what they can do because it's not like they can go out and get somebody right now. Guys aren't available, really. And if they do, they'd have to overpay. And I don't know that they're one bat away. Not that, you know, maybe Prime Babe Ruth would help them a little bit, but <laughs> I don't they, – they don't – they're not one bat away. And, like, Scott has sat there and preached and preached, and, you know, Jared DeHart and Tony Irons and all this. They've preached the, the, the approach they need to have, uh, and we, had just, we just haven't seen it, especially with two strikes. They get, they get greedy. You know, like, the other day when Service was talking about it, he was borderline calling some of them selfish, you know, just about how they just get too big and they're trying to do too much. Where does that come from? What is the motivation? I mean, like, I think it's because they do care, but at the same time, you know, like, figure it out. You know, if it's not working this long into the season, then you got to figure it out. And they just haven't. I thought, you know, I thought Jared Kelnick, of all the people, has had the best at bats with runners in scoring position. He's got hosed by the umpires a couple of times, but at least he understands what he's trying to do up mm-hmm. there, you know, and it's a very simplistic approach. And that's what they need to do is simplify because this isn't working, you know, and they don't have anybody. Like they can't go to AAA and get somebody and say, oh, this guy's going to help. There's no upper level prospects. I mean, I guess, you know, you're hoping that one of these guys hits or, you know, maybe there's a waiver claim out there, but again, I don't, I just don't, they just, it's simple. They have to play better. This is who they are. It's like your Gene Hackman and Hoosiers and you're standing out and telling the crowd, like, this is your team. You know, this is what you have right now. I mean, it's not going to get any better. And honestly, the thing is, is like, they're not giving Jerry a reason to go out and get guys either by playing better. I mean, like, yeah, it's his fault that maybe that it's his, you know, it's their fault that the roster's flawed going into it, but you know, you still have to find a way the roster was flawed and, in a year ago, it wasn't a perfect roster. Winker wasn't hitting. Frazier largely wasn't hitting at this point, you know, but they, they still managed to play well and give Jerry a reason to add Castillo at the deadline. And that's what they need to do. They have a couple of weeks because if you recall, I think they were four games back in the wild card in 21 when they traded Kendall Graveman, you know? Mm. So they I mean like they, you know, Jerry could try and do the buy and sell thing or whatever, you know, but I mean, like, if they're they're six or seven games out of it, 
when the deadline comes, I don't think Teoscar Hernandez is on the team after that. Yeah, obviously, you know, depending on what he's worth. Yeah, depending on what he's you know able to bring back and whether or not there's a market and all that. I, I totally agree and and understand what you're saying. So two questions sort of come off of that for me. The first is because the word selfish is an interesting one. I know you didn't say that Scott used those words, but what would lead what would lead a player that has not been selfish in the past to act in a selfish manner this season? Well, you just look at your numbers. You know, you look at your numbers and say, well, I don't have the home runs I want. I don't have the hits I want. I don't have the RBIs I expect or desire. And, you know, you you do a little bit more. You're like, well, I'm going to hit a three-run bomb here, and it's going to make everything better. We're going to win, you know, and, and I'm going to be the hero. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like they're out there just saying, oh, I got to get my numbers. I got to get mine. You know, this isn't this isn't like that, but it's just, it's the intent. It's just like dialing it back and saying, you know what? Contact here is just good enough. Like shorten up. I got two strikes or, you know, I'm up here. I'm just looking to get a ball into the outfield. The sack fly is good enough. You know, it's, that's where it's got to be. It it doesn't have to be a home run. It doesn't have to be, you hit it a thousand miles an hour. A sack fly is good enough. And, you know, it was one of the players I really thought learned to do that more was uh, Nelson Cruz when he got here and he worked with Edgar and just he learned to stay up the middle with two strikes. And you saw he became a better hitter. I mean, he flirted with 300 when he was here because he understood, he, he had a better understanding. It's just like, you know, you talk to Edgar, he, he got frustrated because so many of the younger players don't believe in that, that they don't change their approach or they don't, you know, kind of work up the middle when there's runners on base or if there's two strikes. And, and you know, it's just a simple thing. It's, it's, understanding that you have to just that contact and putting the ball in play is better than trying to take a daddy hack at a, a two strike pitch and looking stupid when you swing and miss. And it's not all the time. Like, look, there, it goes in spurts, but like, and, and people are human. They have their own motivations and they want to be the hero and such, you know, but right now that's, it's not working. You have to, everybody has to kind of have a, a moment in the mirror and look and say, hey, what am I doing? Is this working? Because, that's kind of what happened a year ago at this time. It wasn't the fight in Anaheim that got them going. They had just kind of a, they had a, a knockdown drag out meeting and a lot of, there were some fingers pointing at each other and it was all player driven. Like they, they just started accusing each other of not working and who's going to do this and who's, you know, and, and they, it moved forward. I don't know if that's what they need now because it's just pretty simple. They hit, they have all the talent. They just don't hit with runners in scoring position and with two strikes. They're just, they're they're they give outs away way too easy. They gave it they give it bats away way too easy. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I actually you know you and I have sort of disagreed on that in the past, which is fine. But the but but seeing Scott last night and the whole Garrett Cole Caballero incident, and then hearing Cole say afterwards that he was waving his finger at Scott, not at Caballero, because Scott was chirping at him from the dugout. Made me wonder if Scott was trying to, you know, there's only so many things in his power. There's only so many things he can do. And you and I both know that, you know, no major league manager in this day and age is flipping over a Gatorade table or screaming at his players. But he watched last year as that was maybe one of the things that fired them up. Is he trying to get them going with a common enemy again? I don't know if he's trying, but like Scott is, you know, it's so funny. Like people sit there and say, Scott has no emotion or, you know, this or that they only see what the cameras see. Like when we're at the park or you're at the park and I know you sat down at dugouts, you, there's so much chirping and so much talking between dug, dugouts. And I mean, like 
you know, the Astros players hate Scott more than any team on the planet because he chirps at them all the time and he calls them out and he'll say stuff. I mean, look at this year, you know, like he's yelling at Martin Maldonado when Caballero got into it. Like and that, that one coach, big Omar, the guy with the glasses, he, he wants to fight Scott every time they have a series. So it's like people think that he's not like, he's like stoic and unemotional. No, they just don't see all the jawing and stuff. And when Scott blows up a player, which he does, he brings them down on the tunnel. He's never going to do it in front of the, the media. So everybody can see he's, that's eyewash. You know, he, he's going to prove his point or, and he doesn't blow him up to us very often. He'll say stuff to us off the record, but he'll never do it, you know, with the cameras rolling. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't think, I mean, look, let's be honest. Garrett Cole's one of the biggest fake tough guys in all of baseball. It's like the other year when he was yelling at the, the Blue Jays, and it's like he puts his arms back, like, hold me back, hold right. me back. You yeah. know, it's yeah, you just, yeah, you're dominating Jose Caballero, and then you're wagging your fingers. It's like, okay, yeah, you get, you're on tonight. Do that in the first inning and see what happens, you know. It's, well, he so, had, to be fair to him, Ryan, he didn't have enough time in the first inning. They saw all of five pitches, and then he was back in the dugout. So he didn't have, oh. like, a lot of opportunity there to get it done. Yeah, I know. And, you know, he's probably afterwards going, you know, I just don't like how these people are moving on me and my Kermit the Frog voice, and I'm 6'6", six, six, and I make $300 million. You think I could talk a little deeper? Hey, two minutes. I just got two minutes here, but I, I got to ask you about it. And I asked Shannon the same question yesterday, but I'll get your opinion on it as well. What is Julio like right now day to day? Just sort of how, what kind of a space is he in? You know, I haven't. And, you know, we don't – I look post-game. You know, there was some frustration last night, I think. But I think you see some frustration. But I think Julio's belief in himself and that he, you know, he did it a year ago when things weren't going right and everything else, uh, that he's going to he's gonna come back from this and he's going to produce ultimately in the end. I mean, like, those guys have that kind of built into him. But remember, a year ago at this time, or when he was struggling a year ago, it's because he wasn't chasing pitches out of the zone and they were calling them strikes, hmm. you know. He was, he wasn't, he understood the strikes on what he wanted to hit and he was getting punished because the umps were bad. What is he doing now? He's not doing that. He's swinging a lot of stuff. Yeah. What did he see? Five pitches last night or something? I mean, that's, yeah. He's got to shrink the zone a little bit. He's got to shrink the zone a little bit and, and understand. And we've asked him, we told him, it's like, Hey, are you prepared that the fact you're just not going to get as much to hit this year because you're the best player on the team. And even when you're going bad, and I talked to two scouts on the last time, I'm like, well, we're not going to throw him anything if he's going to keep getting himself out. Mm-hmm. We're not, there's no reason to throw him stuff in the zone, especially with two strikes, because he'll still swing at it. And he's the best player, and he'll change a game in one swing. So we're not going to give him one swing to change the game, uh, especially with runners on base, because he'll still swing at stuff. Yeah, and right and now it seems like even if he learn. gets it, he's popping it up. So just, uh, just a frustrating time to watch this team right now. And last night was, for me anyway, just a... Hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully, last night was rock bottom. That's uh, that's my hope. Ryan, appreciate it, man. Enjoy a couple of days in New York and Baltimore. We'll see you when you get back. Yeah, it's good to get a good slice of pizza and a real bagel out here. I love that. Well, and plus, you get to see all the New Yorkers who are just delightful. Uh, what a what a oh, great yeah. experience for you to get to go to the center of the universe there and see all of the New Yorkers there. What a what a treat for you. Well, I'm staying in Times Square, so, so there's not any New Yorkers, but it's really miserable down there. <laughs> That's the best part about Times Square. See you, buddy. Appreciate it. You can read yeah, Ryan yeah. Divish uh, in the pages of the Seattle Times or on Twitter. Does a really nice job. I've said this before, uh, covering this team, exactly what a modern-day baseball beat writer should be. I think Ryan does really excellent work. Right now, though, let's bring G. Scott back to a little Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! Blue 88! 
We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. All right, Jay, I got three good football questions for you here. Uh, let me start with this one. Which rookie from last year, so which second-year player, do you expect to make the biggest leap heading into this season? Big boys need love, and it's a tie. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Um, No, those aren't sexy positions, but you got to realize what we just saw and witnessed last season, Mike Salk. Them dudes started all every game last season, and they're only getting better. Now, if I had to really, you know, gun to my head, which one do I think is going to have the best career? Abraham Lucas is the steal of the draft. The way this dude is just wired, motivated, and those that know him that are listening, you know this dude is the ultimate I love football person. Again, he's not going to be running for touchdowns. He's not going to be the sexy name, but Abraham Lucas is your guy. I've heard uh, his name brought up before, too, as maybe the leader and, and future leader of that offensive line group, that he's the guy who doesn't mind saying something now and again. Can I tell a quick story on him? Yeah, go ahead. Um, 12 tour. We're out on 12 tour, and he was a rookie at that time, and he had not uh, d- done a snap at all, played a snap at all for this team. Um, we had some events going on on Sunday on the eastern side of the mountains. He could not meet us because he had to first go to church. He had to first go to church, and then he could meet us. Mm. The dude is disciplined. He's consistent. He's a dog. So to answer your question, Abraham Lucas. I like it. All right, question number two. Yeah. I don't know if you heard this from Luke Wilson. He was on uh, KJ's, what's more, like a video podcast. Don't you do some work on that? Are you part of that? Uh, I'd be, be hanging Did out with KJ. This? Did you hear this at What did he say? What happened? Well, here was Luke Wilson explaining the real reason why he retired. I get the call from Seattle, and they're like, hey, here's the deal. You got to come in today, sign the papers, do the whole, like, physical, come to practice. I stroll into that practice. This is the part I never told anyone. That was the worst practice I've ever seen anywhere I've been. A lot of people were like, oh, he came back to retire as a Seahawk. At this point in my life, I was not going to put, like, my body, mind, and soul for a team that eventually went 7-10. and 10 but had the attitude of a 4-12 and 12 team. So that's two years ago, right? Not last year, obviously. That's Russ's last season here. What team mo- that went 7-10 and 10 with the attitude of a 4-12 and 12 team. What moves did Pete Carroll and John Schneider make after that? Yeah, no kidding. Well, what do you what do you uh, take out of that? I, I take uh, Luke Wilson's word to be true. I take Luke Wilson's word to he's basically saying that he felt as if the Seahawks and the the Seahawk way at that point in time was not there. Now, granted, they're coming off of the covid. They're coming off a good season where they're 12 and four. But they're also coming into a season in which the 2021 season was a let Russ cook spearheaded by Mina Kimes and everybody else out there in the world. And that's all it was. Let Russ cook. Let Russ cook. And it was this let Let's get Russ the MVP. And I think that is what happened. And again, maybe I don't know anything. But 2022, they made changes from that. But I'm just saying. All right. Question number three. Who's the most important assistant coach on this team? Oh, man. Man. 
this is unfair because this is unfair, but I'm going to go ahead and call it Deshaun Shed. And the reason why Deshaun Shed, in my opinion, is the most most important coach is because of a few reasons. One, Deshaun Shed, if you guys know, he was undrafted. He was on the practice squad. And I remember talking to Deshaun Shed all the time when he was just like, I just want my shot. I just want my shot. Then Deshaun Shed worked his way up and he got his shot. He was got his shot and he was, and if you guys remember, let's go back to the game in which he hurt himself. He got hurt in that two, against the Atlanta Falcons. He was a couple minutes away from a huge contract. Deshaun Shedd never got that contract, but Deshaun Shedd also found out what it was like to be a part of a championship culture, and I think Deshaun Shedd still brings that element of how things used to be. So my important coach, by the way, if there's any other coaches, I apologize, and I'm not giving you a name. Mike Salk only wanted me to give one. Yeah, that's the Desha- rules. Deshaun Shedd. That's not, it's not to devalue anybody else. Deshaun, the most important. He, he is, he's, he's such a um, – I, I don't like the word humble. I really don't. Like that's that's a deep thing, but he is just someone that is just so down to earth. But at the same time, he has a big heart and he has a work ethic that just does not stop. And I think him bringing that and not just into the secondary or to the defense, just young guys coming around and being around a Deshaun Shed. If you talk to Deshaun Shed away from football. He's a great dude. Great man. answer. I love it. I just think of him getting engaged on the uh, 50 yard line after that game. That's like always what I think of when I think of Deshaun yeah. Shedd. So. Uh, uh, Kook fans out there right. wanted me to say it because I was talking about Abraham Lucas. Yes. Uh, go Kooks. So that's uh, that's Blue 88 today. That's, an, that's a good answer on, on the two tackles. Would that be great? Yes. The other name that I thought, you know, sort of, and I don't know that he's going to take the biggest leap, but it might be the most helpful if he did, is Boy Mafe. And and I guess the reason I bring his name up, A, second round pick. I mean, like, that's a guy you spent some real significant capital on. But also, he was a raw guy when you picked him. He hadn't played that much football. He was coming out of, you know, a program, et cetera, where this was going to be a little new to him, but you just love the physical traits so much and you sort of hope that you can teach the rest. Mm -hmm. He's got a full year now under his belt. Sure. He was the starter throughout much of mini camp. At least every time I was out there, I looked to see who was starting and he was opposite, uh, opposite Chenna. He's a guy where if he can take that leap and Mm -hmm. become that dude, that's a, that's a huge thing. I've never seen rookies, like this that the Seahawks have this these, year. these last two classes. Mm-hmm. Now, real quick, like I heard you say, I'm not trying to, I'm not crowning this year's rookie class because they have not stepped out yet. onto the field. And that's not where I'm going. But what I do want to say is, is that over the years, the way that they are drafting the individual, just how the personality, mm-hmm. right? I'm not talking about on the field. I'm just talking about the personality. It is so different. And maybe, maybe I'm just naive. Maybe this is happening across the NFL. I can't speak for that. Maybe the new players that are coming into the league with the exposure of social media, NIL money that's happening. Uh, maybe what's happening is is um, they're understanding seven on seven, getting uh, early exposure. But the, here in town, the way John Schneider and Pete Carroll have been drafting these players. They're special, yeah. man. And Mafe sure seems like one of those guys. And we've talked to him a couple of times and just he's just he's an impressive dude. If he can actually figure the game out and the instincts yeah. and everything else and you I mean, he is a he is a big 
pretty looking football player. If he can use all of that size and strength to mm-hmm. be a an instinctive football player, maybe that's where Bobby will have a pretty good effect Brock. on a guy who's... Uh, you miss Brock because you called him pretty. He's, he's, what does Brock say, body beautiful? <laughs> yeah. He's body he beautiful. Yeah. He is a body beautiful kind of a guy. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, uh, with KJ in yesterday, we had a conversation, G, that got me thinking. Uh-huh. And it took, it took me to a place where the easy answer to a question is all of a sudden not my answer anymore. I'll explain next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.